Well, once again, welcome and Merry Christmas. Uh, If you are new here, thanks for joining us. We're so glad to have you with us on Christmas Eve. My name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Christmas is one of my favorite times of of year. And one of my favorite things to do during my favorite time of year is to go to New York City. I don't know if you've ever been to New York City at Christmas time, but it is both the most amazing and the most horrific experience all at the same time. Especially when, now we had to make a strategic calculation this year. Um, We know that the closer you get to actual Christmas day, the more New York City becomes crazy town. Like it just, I mean, if you've not been there, it's hard to imagine, but you literally fear for your life. And so um, because uh, my son is away at college, he came back, we had this kind of limited window, we knew this was when we could go, so we went up yesterday. Crazy town. I mean, there were literally times when we had to, I, I was holding on to children with both hands as the crowds were swarming around us and police were barking at us to kind of move or not move across the street. All the while, we're kind of moving around the cars that have strategically kind of wedged themselves right in the middle. I mean, it was just nuts, but it was New York at Christmas, so it was amazing, right? And so, one of the things you get used to when you go to New York anytime, but uh, around Christmas time, is that there's lots of folks out on the street, lots of homeless people. And early on, we've done this now for seven or eight years, and early on, my wife had the idea of kind of helping our kids into this space by giving each of them uh, just a certain amount of money, where we kind of give them a, you know, a stack of ones, and they could do with that money whatever they wanted while we were there. So if they kind of saw someone who was asking for money and they wanted to give, that was great. They didn't have to ask us. They could just go do that. And so we've done that for years. It's worked really well. So at one point, we are walking along in this river of humanity. I mean, thousands of people. I didn't even know where we were going, but we really had little choice. We were just kind of going with the flow. And it's about 10 o'clock, so we've been there for most of the day, And all I could think of was I wanted to grab a cup of coffee and get in the car and get ready for the two and a half hour drive back home. So we're on our way and one of my daughters saw someone who was was sitting on the sidewalk and she made a beeline to this woman. And so we're kind of standing there and I'll admit I'm a little impatient at this point because I, I want my coffee and I want to go. We've been here all day. I love New York, but it's late and it was last night, so I had things to do. Um, And so... I'm waiting, and she goes over to this woman, and and she begins talking to her. Now, obviously, any person who's going to be on the street is going to look like they're kind of in a rough way, but this woman really didn't look well. And so I I, kind of saw from a distance my daughter leaning over and and talking with her, and and I could see my daughter was confused, and she leaned closer and asked some more questions, and they were kind of having a sort of a conversation, and then the woman just stuck her hand up, and my daughter put some ones in it and walked towards me. And of course, at this point, I'm like, all right, let's go. We got to go. And she said, Dad, I, I don't think she's okay. And I was like, well, of course she's not okay. She's, she's homeless. Like, let's go. You gave her your money. She's like, no, no, no Dad, I, she didn't want my money. Like, she was trying to tell me something, but I, I couldn't really hear her. I, I don't think she's okay. I think we should do something. Now, it's New York. I don't live in New York. What am I going to do about a homeless person in New York? At least this is what I'm thinking, right? So I'm like, look, you you gave her money. That's great. We can't do anything. Let's go. And then a a second daughter came over and said, Dad, I really think we should do something. 
And I'm kind of, you know, I'm trying to get us towards the coffee because that's my goal, right? I'm like, I know, look, I know it's great that you care about her, but we really need to go. And eventually, my wife kind of came over and had part of the conversation too. And finally, it clicked for me. I'm like, what am I doing? Here my family is trying to convince me that there's an actual person who has a need and all I can do is say, give her some money so I can get some coffee. So we went back and uh, at this point, some policemen had come over and were were working with her and uh, presumably were trying to get her some help. And so there was at this point really nothing we could do. But the rest of the night, I kind of spun this in my head. What had happened to me that I had become so callous? I mean, I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm supposed to care about people for a living. And yet, all I could do in this moment is move along and get frustrated with my family for seeing things differently. But it turns out, they were actually seeing things accurately. It was I who was struggling to see things correctly, almost like I was straining in the dark, and I needed someone to show me the way. We heard a little bit earlier from the prophet Isaiah. If you've been with us at all over the past couple weeks, we've been in Isaiah in this series we've been calling Waiting for Christmas. Isaiah is uh, he's a prophet, uh, and by prophet, what we mean is someone who speaks on behalf of God to the people. And all through Isaiah, there are these kind of, these prophecies, these predictions that he's making where he's kind of looking into the future and talking about a king who will come, who will bring about peace and justice and restoration. Someone who they're longing for to come and make things right. And as he speaks this, he's speaking to a people who are in a period of real darkness. Uh, The people of Israel are surrounded by nations that hate them, that want to defeat them. They have this sense that God has abandoned them. The future looks pretty hopeless, pretty bleak, pretty dark. Now, it's interesting that this has become kind of a central passage for a lot of Christmas services. If you've ever been to one, you've probably heard at least a portion of this Isaiah text read. It's this declaration that a a child is coming and that this child is going to be the the answer to this time of darkness. But it's interesting that it's set in a period that's dark. Christmas is a time that we think a lot about joy and happiness, and you know, we talk about the spirit of Christmas and this general sense of well-being, and and that's true. But Christmas can also be a, a pretty dark time. I mean, quite literally, Christmas happens at the darkest time of the year, right? The days are shortest, they're cold, well, usually. It's a dark time. So say if you're someone who struggles with seasonal affective disorder, this can be a particularly challenging time for you. It might not be one that's full of joy and laughter. It's also a time when we often think about gathering with people that we love. Many of you are here because you have family here, or you look forward to going and meeting with family afterwards. But because of that, it can also be a time where if, if you've lost someone that you love, that pain can be really acute. Or if you're having family discord, if you and your spouse are, 
are having conflict. Maybe you're even going through or have recently gone through a divorce. If you're estranged from anybody in your family, all of that can make this feel not necessarily like the most wonderful time of the year. Or maybe in this time when we emphasize generosity and giving, you're feeling like things are kind of tight. And rather than taking joy in giving, you're feeling bad about the fact that you really can't do more than you're able. Maybe you can't do anything at all. Maybe the, the weight of the debt that you're under is crushing. It feels dark. For many of us, Christmas just exacerbates what already feels like this kind of cloud of darkness that hangs on us. But for some of us, um, the darkness is less like a cloud and maybe more like a fog. It's not that life is particularly bad or heavy. In fact, all the data points are kind of up and to the right. Like if you were to look at your, your family, your career, life in general, you just you feel pretty good. Things are going well. But at times, you just got to wonder, is there something more? Like, this is all great, but, but you want something more meaningful, more purposeful, something that kind of says your life really matters. And, and you're longing to find that, but you're not quite sure what it is. To all of us who are wrestling with some sense of darkness, whether it's a cloud or a fog, the prophet Isaiah speaks these words again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the good news to us. Light has dawned in this baby born in a manger. The light has come to dispel the clouds of darkness that hang over us and to clear the fog of darkness to show us what it means to be fully human. Jesus has come as the light. Now, when we think about Christmas, often you probably think about the, the stories of shepherds and wise men, Mary and Joseph, stars, angels. But in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth biography of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, we don't get any of that. In the beginning, we actually get this kind of interesting cosmic echo of what Isaiah is talking about. In John 1, 1 to 5, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light has come. 
in the baby born in a manger. And the darkness can't overcome it. Now that raises some questions, of course. If the light has come, then why do we still experience darkness? And that is a good question. And one of the things that we experience in this life of faith is what we call, or we've kind of stolen from someone else, uh, N.T. Wright, a New, a New Testament scholar, uses this phrase, now but not yet. This experience of what God has done now in Jesus, but won't fully be realized until one day when God makes all things new. The now but not yet. And that's true about the light. The light has come in Jesus, and yet we still experience the darkness until one day when the darkness is done away with forever. We live in that liminal space, that tension. Because we all experience darkness. Whether it was something I described earlier that kind of resonated with you or something completely different, part of being human is experiencing the darkness. It's not that you lack faith if you're going through a dark time. It's not that you just haven't figured out how to do it right and everybody else has. It's not that you did something wrong and God is somehow punishing you. Part of what it means to be human is to sometimes experience the darkness. I mean, heck, even Jesus himself, the light, experienced darkness because the light became fully human. And so we see Jesus who's misunderstood by his family, betrayed by his closest friends, publicly humiliated, tortured, killed. Even as he hangs on the cross, he cries out, seemingly feeling as though God himself has abandoned him. Jesus, as a fully human being, experienced darkness. It's a real thing. It's part of this whole human experience. And so Christmas is not a time where hopefully we just kind of suck it up and offer each other some kind of fake niceties, put on the happy face, and pretend everything's okay. Christmas, properly understood, is an invitation into hope. It's recognizing that the darkness is real, but allowing hope to be born in us anew. That the light has come and the darkness will not overcome it. And one day, we believe that the darkness will be taken care of for good never again to be a cloud or a fog, but to be wiped away. In the other, uh, one of the other books we see from John, the book of Revelation, we come to at the end of the Bible. It's kind of this remarkable, kind of kooky book with lots of wild imagery using like dragons and, and these really visceral images to help us imagine what it is that God is doing now and what it is that God will do when he brings all of history to a close. And at the end, we read this. Uh, John uses this imagery of a city coming to earth, and it's this, this image that invokes when God comes and, and 
basically lives among us. We live with God in God's presence for all time. God coming to earth, making all things new. And it uses an image of a lamb, which refers to Jesus. And we read this in in Revelation 21. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And so the hope that we live in, the hope that Christmas reminds us of, is not just that the birth of Jesus was something that happened one time long ago, but it points ahead to the future when God will finally bring darkness to an end. When we will experience nothing but light in the presence of God and darkness is driven away and every tear is wiped away. But this hope isn't just for the future. It's for right now. Because we believe that light has come and light will win, we live in the middle of those two poles as people with hope. People who live pregnant with hope that the darkness will not overcome the light. Theologian N.T. Wright, who I referenced earlier, says this. He says, In Jesus, therefore, the ancient Jewish hope had come true at last. The point was not for us to go to heaven, but for the life of heaven to arrive on earth. Jesus taught his followers to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. With the birth of the babe in the manger, we experience not just a historical event, but the continual birth of hope in us that the light has come and the darkness will not overcome it. The cloud of darkness that hangs over us will one day be driven away. And in Jesus, he shows us through the fog of darkness to what it means to be truly human. The light has come, and the darkness won't overcome it. So growing up, we, um, we kind of had a, uh, a reputation in our community of being that family who never took their Christmas lights down. You might have that family in your neighborhood. I think our record was the Christmas tree came down one year in May. I kid you not, it was not a real tree. Um, but my mom loved it. Now, she loved it for the sentimentality and the nostalgia. But there was something really hopeful about it. You know, especially once you get beyond the, the happiness of the Christmas holidays and into the, the drudgery of January and February. There's something about the light that reminds you, even in the darkness, that there's something hopeful coming. Even if Christmas is a a mere nine months away, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that we all leave our Christmas lights up until May. You could. You might want to check that out with the people that you live with, but you could. But we all do need reminders beyond Christmas that the light has won. The darkness won't overcome it. Now, there are lots of good ways to do this. There's, There's meditating on the story of Jesus found in the scriptures. They're spending time in prayer, silence. 
But there are a few ways that are as helpful as surrounding yourself with other people who have the same hope. Hope is something that is best experienced together, that is most fully understood with others. We only see hope partially on our own. But if we surround ourselves with people who share that hope, we're able to see more fully the hope and to realize it here and now. And so my prayer for you and for me this Christmas is that we would allow the light of Christ to be birthed in us anew, giving us hope that all darkness, the clouds that hang over us, and the fogs that keep us from seeing the way to go will be moved away as we focus our attention on the light that has come and as we surround ourselves with others who encourage us to hold on to hope today, tomorrow, at Christmas, but also in January and February and even March, especially if it snows. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.